What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John, we got a pretty big show tonight because we are going to talk, you know, our normal wrestling stuff, but in our We Want Flair segment, uh, we're going to bring on Big Dave Meltzer since he was actually there live in March of 1991 at the Tokyo Dome, uh, he was there live to see the Flair Fujinami and that that whole show. That the, the he'll talk about sort of the just how big it was and and kind of the um, the different like like how big wrestling was in Japan in 1991. So interesting. It, it was pretty cool because I was able to ask him a lot of the stuff that that we were talking about and kind of wondering about just to kind of get his his take on it. But um, recorded the recorded the interview a couple days ago actually no it was, it was just last night so we'll play that right at the end after you and i go over the match and we'll talk about the match in in this week's segment um also we're going to talk about obviously the, the the shows are back the wednesday night shows are back and then we'll talk a little bit about uh some uh, some wwe stuff uh, but the first thing i want to do is um so a couple of friends well, actually, more of a friend of our pal Danny Acosta, guy by the name of Andreas Hale. Uh, he does a podcast with Kel Dansby, who works for ESPN, and it's called uh, Corners Podcast. And they are new to the Blue Wire Network. They were just recently picked up by uh, our CEO, Kevin Jones, KJ. Uh, and they are now on the Blue Wire Network, so I kind of just want to give them a friendly shout-out. Go check out their stuff. Uh, the cool thing about Andreas is, I don't know if you if you remember this or if you even remember hearing about it, but um, during StarCast, um, it was either, was it StarCast or WrestleMania? I think it was StarCast. He did a panel called uh, Wrestling with Stereotypes. Very interesting, and this is how uh, I know that he and Danny Acosta are friends because Danny was uh, there, and and I ran into him, and I just to say what's up, and he introduced me to to that whole crew. Uh, but you know, doing some really cool things in in the, in the field that you don't necessarily see. So, big ups to them for joining the network, and also a friend of mine and someone, John, who you uh, you are aware of is our friend Heidi Fang, who has been a part of our. MMA pickums for uh, for as long as you know as long as we've been doing it, and uh, her podcast called uh, RJ Ringside, which is uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, which is an MMA show that she does, uh, is now on the Blue Blue Wire Network, and her Raiders podcast that she does called Vegas Nation. Both of those are on the Blue Wire Network. So I wanted to shout out both of those shows, people who listen to us. Give those shows a, a shot. Check it out. See what you think. Um, but they are big, big, uh, big winners uh, for us for 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 Blue Wire for for picking those podcasts up. So um, the other thing I wanted to hype up a little bit is uh, our buddy Robert Silva, who writes for uh, Fight Game Media. He is putting together his uh, newest series on the uh the, the his five greatest uh super lightweights of all time and uh number five is which which we just put up on monday was julio caesar chavez so we'll be counting down his top five greatest super lightweights in boxing ever for the next several Mondays until we get to number one, and then he'll change weight classes at some point. I just I realized that he's been writing these things for um, you know over a year and a half, I think. So he you know he just goes 
division by division, weight class by weight class, and and now he's on super lightweight. So it'll be fun to count down. He's already sent me uh, his two, his next two. So I've been reading those and editing those, and those. So that'll be up uh, next Monday. But check that out. And uh, and I think that's it for the shoutouts. Um, I kind of the first thing I want to ask you about because last week we talked about Jr. Kratos working all Japan, and then I saw. A, uh, a graphic that Jeff Cobb is going to be working the Bloodsport show, uh, Bloodsport 3, WrestleMania weekend in Tampa. And uh, gosh, what a, what a perfect pairing, Jeff Cobb working a Josh Barnett's show. Yeah, I mean, he really wanted to work the last show um, in New York. He was with us watching the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, due to his, uh, um, you know, contract and stuff, he... he with ROH, I don't think he could work that show, I believe. So I know he really, really wanted to work that show that that day, and he was excited about what they're doing and the style that he really likes to do and enjoys. And I'm curious to see who's going to be uh, fighting on that card. I mean, I see him and JR Kratos go at it. Um, I know it would be cool to see him and Josh Barnett in the main event. Mm-hmm. That, that could be a fallback main event if moxley and barnett doesn't go off this time around because i know um he really wanted to do that match um barnett really wanted to have that match but you remember mox had the the mercer right yep so he had to pull out so i think they're gonna you know come through with that with that fight for the next show so but uh i mean it's nice to see jr and Cobb go at it and i you know they would put on a hell of a match too for that for the audience yeah i mean they they have such great chemistry together as it is um, so Jeff is currently, he is, I think he's on like a per show deal with ROH still, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's still, he's still working there. And then he's going to be at the, um, the new Japan shows in the, in the U S, uh, for their upcoming tour. So he's, he's staying busy. It'll be, it'll be cool to see him. I think he's actually facing uh, Carl Fredericks on one of those shows. Yeah. And, and, um, a lot of people are hyped about his match with Alex Zane. Mm-hmm. A lot of hype around that kid. So um, those shows should be fun. I, I, I don't know if they're going to be on the um, New Japan World. Has, have you heard anything about that? I was, I didn't see anything, but I hope it is because there's some of those some matches on those cards I really want to check out. Yeah, I hope so. But I, what I wonder really is how they're going to draw because mm-hmm. we, we remember we went to the San Jose show which was really cool show, but didn't have that like hot, hot main event that, you know, would, would sell the show out. It, Cause it, I don't, I don't even, I don't know if it sold out or not, but I know tickets were very easy to get. So, you know, those, those, um, the, the matches, the match schedule, I think for a hardcore fan is super fun, but I don't know about, you know, drawing more than, than what their hardcore fan base is based on those matches that I saw. But uh, I think, you know, the mat the shows will be f- super fun. I just, I just wonder about the, about, you know, this whole U uh, S invasion for them. So, um, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up before we hit our Wednesday night wars, uh, as usual is, uh, on, on raw Brock Lesnar made his first appearance in 2020 and Paul Heyman came on and said that, uh, you know, Brock doesn't really have many challenges. And, and so 
and rather than you know take on somebody, he wants to take on everybody, and and he's going to be the number one entrant into the Royal Rumble, so that he can go one through thirty and win the entire thing, and and who knows what happens after that. But what did you think of that whole thing, and just the idea of? setting Brock up as just this unbeatable monster and uh, you know he's not afraid of anybody and he's going to just go through that entire Royal Rumble like nobody's business um, I, I liked it because it could set up some really good stuff with uh, whoever does eliminate Brock you know immediately gets a title shot um, possibly at Wrestlemania uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a surprise that I don't know who, who they can bring in as a surprise that could knock out Brock maybe Edge or something like that or you know or Daniel Cormier <laughs> debuts the Rumble and knocks out Brock over the top rope or something cool like that. Um, they could do a lot of fun stuff, but I, I think it's cool. You know, they, they WWE's, you know, they're always looking for a hook for every pay-per-view now. Um, you know, like, like they did NXT versus uh, Raw and SmackDown for Survivor Series and et cetera. So for these big ones, they're looking for some, a different angle to Rumble. Uh, you know, I like it. I'm interested. Actually, I mean, it makes me want to watch it. So um, I'm sure, you know, Brock at number one is going to run rough shot for a while and just toss and fools. Hopefully it's no one to look, <laughs> no one to look too bad. You know, I mean, it's okay to throw the Zack Riders of the world out like that. But, you know, don't don't throw my boy Andrade or or um, Samoa Joe out like that. I, I jokingly tweeted on Twitter that Kofi should be number two so that he could just toss him out very quickly again. Like he beat him. I'm down with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm t- fine. I mean, that makes sense. He should. He beat him in like what? 10 seconds for the title. He should be able to throw him out in 10 seconds as well or less. Okay. So here's what I don't understand about that. Uh, what, what Paul's selling, obviously there's still, you know, what is it? Three weeks until the actual show. So, you know, Brock is is uh, not the smartest man or one of the smartest men in wrestling for nothing. Uh, you know, he he makes uh, a lot of money per uh, you know per minute. I, I guess you, you could say. I don't see him wanting to work a sixty minute Royal Rumble and being in that match the entire time. Is it possible that this is just a ruse? And uh, all of a sudden, he comes out at number thirty and uh, and and does it that way. No, I, I don't think they would do that. I think that would be that wouldn't be a smart move. I, I think it's just to set up him. Like I said, he's gonna go through. He's gonna go through guys. Look dominant. Maybe a, a guy or two gets a little something on him, a little more than the others. Like a, maybe a big show comes in who just returned and. You know, they go at it for a while, and, and but he eliminates him. And finally, you know, someone that we weren't expecting or, you know, maybe someone totally new eliminates him and sets up a, a WrestleMania match or, or maybe the and there's a pay-per-view between there. So that could be that. But I would hope the whoever eliminates him in the Rumble was the guy that's going to get the title shot at WrestleMania. I almost and, think it would even be more impressive like if you want to do this thing where you know Brock is is just you know the the tippity top guy and and he's just this unstoppable monster to me like putting him in the elimination chamber and having him win that chamber might even be more impressive than the Royal Rumble only because um you know a he's he's won the Rumble before obviously when he was on his first ascent to to being the champion 2003 but Again, like just the idea that he's just going to sit there in the corner and 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 huff and puff and turn purple after 60 minutes of being in the ring. I, I would almost rather just see him clear out 
the the chamber and and be the be the be the guy winning that that chamber match. I don't know. I'm just I'm just I just have this feeling like but I just can't imagine. I can't. What's the can't element Im- of surprise of that? Right. That's what they're looking for. Look, they're looking for who's going to come out and eliminate him. That's you know that's and then with you can do stuff where he's being beat by another guy or getting his ass kicked a little bit and then this other guy shows up too or you know you can play with a lot of there's a lot of storylines you can come out of this with it so um but don't you think that the same old story of you know we just saw this right last year's wrestlemania um uh, against uh, against Seth, mm-hmm. and then you know the whole story with you know that they've been trying to tell with Roman. It just seems like the story of creating a contender for Brock so that they can have this WrestleMania match. It's just like, I mean, I, I guess it, it's it's too by the book for me. I, I'm, not, I'm I don't know. I I'm, I would just like to see them do a little bit something different with Brock. And I don't know. I don't know. You can't really turn him face from from now to WrestleMania. You, that would probably be a little bit longer of a time. But I would just. I, I want to see him do something different rather than have this ten minute match at WrestleMania where you know the the little guy or the contender you know is supposed to beat him and then it signifies something and then just at SummerSlam he comes back and wins. Like it's just you know this whole same same with Brock because you know the thing that I really like about Brock is he's just. He is he is by, you know, he doesn't even really talk. So mm. just from his physicality and his visuals and his size and how he wrestles, like he he is so creative just by being Brock Lesnar. But when you put him in the same thing over and over and over and over and over, I think I you know people people groan about it. I, I would like to see them be a little bit more creative, and 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 maybe maybe the wrinkle is you know this Rumble thing where he just decides to be in it, and like you said, you know Drew McIntyre comes in and and kicks him out of the ring or something. But I just yeah. I hope they have something special rather than just the normal way of building a contender for him at WrestleMania. Yeah, I would hope so too. I hope they do some I hope it's someone special. I mean, I Drew, I like Drew McIntyre versus Brock. I love that match, but I don't know if it's a WrestleMania match. But then again, I don't know what else they have planned for WrestleMania. They think that's going to be a big hook for for that uh for that for that pay-per-view. So um I I'm 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 curious though. I'm I, I don't <laughs> I hope it doesn't go sixty minutes and just when it wins the rumble i mean that would i mean it'd be cool in one way but like i don't know if i really want to see that it might be one of the most boring wrestlemanias ever i mean i don't know how boring you get brock throwing everyone around but i think it'd be like it's like way too long you know maybe if we went back to the old 30 minute rumbles from like 1995 maybe it won't be too bad but no i think uh he's gonna get eliminated by someone and i i i'm gonna say it's not gonna be anyone that's on the roster right now it's gonna be someone special Someone, someone mm-hmm. new, or maybe yeah, someone from the past. Maybe I, mean, I don't know how much John Cena sounds important to you. Like if that, if he comes back as a surprise and eliminates Brock, but you know that could be. You know, I haven't seen Cena for Cena in a long time. Be, I, w- I, I wouldn't. Cool. I wouldn't mind that match if no title was on the line. But mm-hmm. when you put the title on the line, knowing that Cena is not going to be around, it kind of. You know, it's a little bit predictable about what that story is. Um, you know, same with Big Dave Batista. Like, obviously, he's retired. But if mm-hmm. if you wanted to do something like that, I mean, the one that's out there is Edge. I don't I don't know if I want to see Edge take uh, suplexes like yeah. we talked about before. Uh, but outside of those guys, I'm not sure who's out there who's actually someone else you could bring in because uh, they're you know they've signed everybody. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no yeah. there's nobody. I know out there's there. no one. There's no one that's. 
special. Like I said, like maybe it's like something out of the out of the box, like like a Daniel Cormier. Like I said, coming in and Cormier. Or I mean, they've already killed Kane dead, so I don't know. I don't know what they can do with Kane. <laughs> maybe Kane comes out and gets his ass kicked again, and here comes next entrance, Daniel Cormier. You know, um, uh, the uh, the 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 one that is, I I, I wouldn't do it. But it would be exciting is uh, someone who we'll talk about at the end of the at the end of our NXT recap in Keith Lee. Like he's definitely got something, but you know he's 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 you know I I, I think he's probably going the path of uh, of the normal NXT route with with guys uh, you know winning winning belts there first. But he he would be pretty interesting in that Royal Rumble if he and Brock face off for a couple minutes. Yeah, that'll be... I, I, I'm sure that will happen. I mean, and I hope he he ends up looking good. And I think he will. They, they are really... They're really high on him right now, so... Okay, so we don't want to waste too much time because, you know, we got the... It's, it's about a 27-minute uh, interview with Big Dave, and, and you and I are still going to talk about that match. So let, let's actually get through the, uh, the shows from Wednesday night. Uh, Interestingly, AEW destroyed NXT in the ratings, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that NXT did, um, you know, they did basically two ta- two two shows that weren't live wrestling two weeks in a row, and uh, AEW went did go dark for um, for Thanksgiving, but when they had come back, I guess they had a little bit of momentum from that New Year's Eve show, and they almost did the same number as the New Year's Eve show, so. Pretty, pretty good for them. Uh, I don't know what it means for WWE other than, you know, just maybe like a learning thing next year where, uh, you know, you're just going to have to keep doing live shows, you know, probably not going to end up on a holiday next week for Wednesdays, but uh, probably can't afford to just go go dark like that because uh, you allowed AEW to pick up a little momentum. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that did hurt NXT a little bit, you know, taking those, you know, not you know, they had shows, but, you know, like I said, they were tape shows and and um i think a lot of people um i don't know what else was on that night that kind of hurt the rating too and beyond beyond just um aw jeopardy was that a big big draw i mean i don't, I don't know i mean in 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 their their over 50 demo maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i know i know our, our buddy paul fontaine had had mentioned that that could be a possibility yeah and then and this show itself the nxt show um too like i had I thought it was like they had a killer main event and some good tag team matches, but the rest was like, to me, a lot of blah, honestly. I felt it's it's almost like they didn't quite want to kick the, the, the road to take over in yet. Like they had like, they have like one, what that one show or two shows to where, you know, they're going to save like the best stuff for the last several weeks or whatever. Well, it wasn't, like I get it. Like it's time to lay the groundwork again, right? As we go into takeover, and I understand the, the you know that, that's what NXT does. They do a nice slow build, and they they peak really well at their takeover shows. And I get that. It's just I didn't like the execution of the opener. Um, the whole thing with Rhea, and then the, all the girls coming out one at a time just took forever. It also was more of a. Um, sort of like a, hey guys, we have this UK show and we just want to remind you that mm-hmm. you can watch that. So let's bring out Tony Storm and let's bring out Kaylee, uh, Kaylee 
And and the, that's I mean, because otherwise, why were they even on? Like they, they didn't really have anything to do with the match, though. You know, I think they're the Tony Storm and Rhea is going to happen at that Worlds Collide. So that was a little bit of sort of uh, foreshadowing for that. But yeah, but still, was, I mean, it was for both. It was definitely for the, the NXT UK takeover um, show. And it definitely was for Worlds Collide as well. And I mean, at least Tony had an issue like Tony, you know, she beat Rhea for the UK championship. So there's there's history there. And there's, there's mm-hmm. and so she, you know, I can understand her wanting to get a title shot. It just the execution was too long. I rather have them just advertise the six six woman tag team match. So so the the thing that it reminded me of is it reminded me of uh you know ten years ago in WWE when they didn't really have an idea what they were gonna do, so they would just throw everybody into the ring and do this like long segment and create you know create this crazy way to get to to a title match. Like that's what it reminded me of. And usually, I mean, not not like NXT is not prone to to do multi people because they do like to get you know a lot of people on TV. But it just felt like when when I see stuff like that, I wonder if they really have a strong idea. Um, and, and, you know, maybe they'll, they, I'm sure they'll clear it up, but, uh, you know, with, without Shayna being in the mix, if she's not in the mix, they do need to figure out who that person is going to be. Cause Shayna has been the top dog for so long and everybody else has been number two. So if Rhea Ripley's now that top dog, you know, everybody else is number two again, and they need to establish a little bit of a pecking order. And I think, you know, whether it's EO, um, Dakota, Dakota, whatever, like I, you know, if if you're talking about talking about wrestling, it it is it is EO, right? Like she's she's the best one, but who's you know who's the most over? Who's gonna who's gonna actually sell the idea that they could beat Rhea Ripley? Because she's you know she she's uh, really strong right now, and and I think most most fans know that you know she's probably here for uh, a decent title reign. So yeah, I I think it's gonna be hard for them to sell whoever that that next contender is to uh to a, a, as a possible. Uh, contender for the title but you know who knows you know maybe Shayna does go back and, and just do one more mm-hmm. until she leaves I don't, I don't know but but I, I think that is going to be a little bit of a struggle trying to find that number two yeah so you know like I just thought I thought I I, I thought it was like all the like the tag matches are good and the, the the main event was fantastic it's just everything else I thought was 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 okay the women's match I did not like I mean, they did some good stuff here and there, but it was just seemed really off. A lot of stuff, a lot of hesitant or something. Can, you know. can I tell you the thing that I hated the most on this NXT show? I th- I actually hated this most on NXT show, though. It wasn't the worst thing on both shows because we'll we'll talk about mm-hmm. some of the stuff on AEW. But the Johnny Gargano promo, I hated that promo. I didn't like it either. I did I not get, like it either. I get it. Because you're trying to make NXT this, you know, very fan favorite, like, this is our thing brand. It's kind of underground in a sense. But man, like, I thought he came off so indie. What it reminded me of is it reminded me of like an like an indie promo where, you know, they're the hometown indie guy is is like doing a promo against the outsider who's the bigger star. Like that's what it felt like to me because the second Finn comes out. Finn just eats him alive and I'm like okay like that's why he's Finn Balor <laughs> like like he that's why you know he's I, the he's the bigger star I just wish they would have gone a different route with it like I was I was just hopefully more of like revenge for the injury than 
then just like, you know, this is, you know, you left and I stayed and, and this kind of, you know, I, this is my home, that kind of stuff. I, I really wish like, just like you got taken out by a reverse DDT and you got, you know, neck injury or whatever. Like you should be pissed mm-hmm. uh, for that alone. Not just, you know, one, one, he turned on him two he injured his neck and then you should be pissed about that. Like the whole, like. I stayed and became Johnny Takeover and you left it was just much nonsense. I know they tried to do some of that work shoot stuff and it just didn't really get over. Um, I thought, and then I thought it was interesting cause the crowd was actually turning on Johnny here. Well, the, the thing is, is, you know, I, I thought the live crowd I was like, okay, this is going to work for the live crowd, but the wrestling fans are probably a little too smart for this to work for, for the TV audience and it didn't even work for the live crowd yeah. until i mean he he turned them in, in the end but i just i was just like man well, like finn i think finn really did a good job but Finn yeah. was great in the segment i just he was, he was awesome i just want the story to focus more on like what really happened and not just the, the leaving all stuff. i thought that was kind of that was kind of cheesy but um but that's like they always do that that's like a wwe trope is to you know is to is to make it like you know, the person who takes less money and stays is is the babyface, and the person who mm-hmm. leaves to go be a star is the heel. Like that's such a stupid trope. I don't know. What did you uh, think about the tag matches? Did you like tag matches? I thought the I actually liked Imperium and the Forgotten Sons more mm-hmm. um, because I liked like the last like two to three minutes. I thought was just like awesome timing now you know some of it was it was it was high spot high spot high spot but i just thought that timing was really good and i thought actually wesley blake was excellent in mm-hmm. in just taking all of those things he and the is, timing of all that stuff he is such an underrated worker i mean he is fantastic he's he's like a he's just a workhorse he's a great bumper and he makes everything look great you know like i would love to work that guy as a wrestler you know like oh, i get to work with Chrissy blake he's gonna make him look like a million bucks and imperium was was fantastic i've been talking to those guys for a while and you know fabian eichner and marcel bartel i mean those guys are are studs man like that really enjoy those guys and i'm bummed that this paper on the pay-per-view well the nxt takeover it's gonna be a four-way ladder match <laughs> coming up because i hate ladder matches but you know, so I nicely got this. I nice I got this uh, tag match. You know, I was a little bit disappointed in the other tag match. Um, it was like it didn't feel like it. It got out of second gear. Like I, I was expecting it to like build, 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 and it didn't really. It didn't really happen. And the other thing is. Um, I just, you know, I, I kind of wrote a note and it, it, it didn't, it wasn't really too frustrating, but I forgot who's the, who's the one that gets launched for the Fosbury flop. Was it, uh, um, my, my coffee. So, so I, or no one caught him almost. <laughs> well, it just, yeah. Like, like it, he, he, he didn't really touch really either guy and it just didn't look impressive. Right. Like when you do that move, mm-hmm. like the super athletic guys, like make that move look impressive. And like, I know like it's, you know, we, we've talked about this, you know, for the last several years, like these big guys doing these, doing these athletic spots, like it, it, it now it just looks like anybody could do the, this stuff. And I didn't like that because I was like, man, if you're going to do this, like make it look great like just doing it for the sake of doing it doesn't do anything for me and i well, just thought i was like uh oh, it wasn't it wasn't even that cool of a spot in their defense i've seen them do this a few times and it is pretty awesome when they do it i think the way it was what happened when you know <laughs> fish and o'reilly really didn't catch him 
that well, in my opinion. I thought he didn't like look like he didn't hit anyone or barely did, right? So I think it's the way it came off looking. But like I've seen it when they've done it, and it, it's it's crazy because you know coffee goes flying, and maybe this time around he didn't. But it just. Um, yeah, it wasn't as impressive on this show, unfortunately. But I like Gallus a lot. I like those guys. They, you know, they have a good chemistry, and and uh, they're good. You know, they're smash mouth. I like that kind of thing. And then you know, Wolfgang, who looks like you know, remember Wolfgang from when the when they first did the tournament? Oh yeah. To now, like he's really good, and he got himself in great shape. Um, really uh, fits in this this team, the Gallus, well, especially with the uh, Mark and uh, Jeff Coffee, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward Joe, to the Joe, Joe Coffee. Coffee. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that takeover show <laughs> coming up on Sunday. You you probably named his brothers uh, Mike and Jeff Coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, before we get to the main event, uh, I need a coffee. Al- I need a coffee, man. <laughs> Kushida and Alex Shelley. That was kind of a nice. That was surprise. cool. That was cool. I've never really been an Alex Shelley guy, but you know, I mean, that's a good smart move and get the people hyped up. Then those hardcore fans, like, oh man, that's cool. They're reuniting Time Splitters, and they were a proper. That is, that is that is the kind of thing though that will get. AEW fans to kind of peek over to the other show mm-hmm. is stuff like that. So yeah. that's 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 more so why I liked it than uh, than than anything else. So main event, uh, I thought it was a really fun match. The they did a really good job of making sure that everybody in the match at least got to do something. And um, you know, I thought Cameron Grimes was really good at 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 uh, just making sure that you know a lot of this stuff looked good and. You know he's 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 doing a lot with a gimmick that I didn't necessarily I thought was a little bland, but he's he's really good. He's really impressed me uh, since he's come to NXT. But obviously the the whole idea of this match was just for Keith Lee to look you know look fantastic, and he did do in part to to Grimes bumping for him as well. Yeah, that but, was, yeah that it, was, it was fun. That was his role, you know. And that was Grimes' role. He's he's really good. And like I like I've said for weeks now, like Trevor Lee was bland, but Grim, Cameron Grimes is not bland. I, I really like what they added to his character. Just gave him some kind of color, you know, and um, some personality. Uh, yeah, I thought everyone looked good. David Priest looked good. Dijakovic looked good. Like they really it was like a perfect. This is what four way should be. They should be all out crazy action. And but they also sold too. It wasn't like they just did a bunch of moves and kept bouncing up like no problem like people were like selling and that that Keith Lee pounce with Dijakovic took that over the top rope my god that was awesome and then you know the Keith Lee spot now I guess we're gonna call it the Keith Lee spot where he just <laughs> comes up you know, into the camera frame and mm-hmm. you know I hope that I hope they kind of scale back a little bit on the Keith Lee spot because I, it's so it's such a cool little moment I want to I think they should let's, let's save it for like I don't know when it really counts I guess it, it worked here because it, it, it but like you know, don't do like every show. So well, we have we haven't seen it for two weeks because he hasn't he hasn't wrestled. True, so. true. But I I agree with you. It, the, you know they they will tend to play things out because they want to you know get the Twitter retweets and stuff. But it it is still cool, and I hope they don't burn it out because it would be great. You know, it's gonna it, it'll be great if he does it in the Rumble. It'll be great if he does it at WrestleMania. But I don't want to see it on every other NXT show. Yeah, and I like the idea that they they promoted this like they promoted the thing two weeks we're gonna get the title match with Roderick Strong for the North American title. So I thought that was I like that like a like like a weak build between stuff to kind of really build up interest in the match. So um, looks like in two weeks they're really building up that NXT show to be a, a big one. And then uh, next next week we get Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle, right? Yeah, Pete Dunn, Matt Riddle uh, against. Um, 
Mark Mark Andrews and uh, what's God? What's his name? Jeez, the guy that looks like uh, a beetle. Flash Webster. Flash Webster. Yeah, that would be a good wrestling match. But I'm waiting for what's going to come up next. I, I I I believe I'm pretty confident that you know Riddle and Pete Dunn are going over, and I can't wait for that tag match at Imperium is going to be should be off the charts. They give him like good, give him a good twenty minutes, please, at the minimum. Yeah, totally. Hopefully they hopefully they do that. I mean they have two hours now, so they should yeah. be able to. And I like the that, which I like the riddle promo. I thought it was like totally him and like simple, like to the point. Like, well, I mean he's still he's still organic. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you wonder what happens if he goes to the main roster, but now you know on NXT he can still be Matt Riddle. I think I've complained a little bit about some of his some of the the uh the 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 big spots that he does over and over in his in his matches that is a little bit different from how he used to do them on the indies but you know from from that perspective of him being a star he's obviously one of one of the guys that you you look forward to when he comes out on tv and i I think that's you know just the fact that him and Pete Dunn, and I'm just like, oh, that's the team that I want. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, want to go for like that. Just shows like he he as the the NXT packaged version of Matt Riddle definitely has a strengths uh, over the uh, independent version. And really nice to see uh, uh, a debut. Uh, Chelsea, I know she's did some main event stuff, but no one's really watching those. But like, you know, Chelsea Green debuting on NXT was a nice a nice surprise. You know, that was like, gosh. Why are we having this match with Mia Yim and uh, <laughs> it's just like it's just like I was like oh, I, don't, I don't think they should you know they should have gave more time to something else than in this match you know not not against these ladies that you know in the match I just didn't think it was like needed and but of course you know it was a nice debut for Chelsea Green with uh, Robbie E as her manager which is nice to see a manager back um, she looked great I thought she looked fantastic props to I mean, Ryder. Yeah, I mean, maybe she gets in the mix at at some point. For, yeah, well, I think I think that. you need to build her up, you know, obviously for a month or two, and then yeah, and she can be a next challenger for Rhea for sure. All right, so let's uh, switch over to AEW. Um, AEW, I thought was, I would say, I you know we obviously know they've had some. A couple of bad shows. They've had a couple of hot shows. I would say this is more along the lines of being in the middle. Um, I think they had some really good ideas, but I don't know if the actual way that things played out uh, went as planned. Like the Moxley Jericho thing, I thought was good, but it was pretty clear to me that they had uh, extra time that they weren't <laughs> banking on, and they stretched that thing out of just about as far as they could go, and yeah. you know the champagne wasn't spraying out <laughs> necessarily like they wanted to. Uh, but you know the the end result was, was uh, the when they actually finally got to the end of that thing with with Moxley turning Jericho down was fun and was definitely like right in the exact personality uh, of a John Moxley yeah and and you know making Jericho who uh, who you know who I knew all along he was going to join you guys are stupid and then he gets you know he's foiled at the end I thought that was a really fun way to end the show it's just it just felt like it took forever to get there because it did <laughs> it did I was like you know. I think everyone in that audience, I mean, there was booing when he said he's going to join the inner circle, but I think it's more of like, we're playing a long booing. It yeah. wasn't like, you know, they're like, oh my God, what a shocker. And we now we're pissed. It was just like, they're playing along and everyone's just kind of waiting for Mox to, you know, 
do his thing and and attack Chris and you know and get get some uh, get some revenge. And it takes forever and ever and ever. And finally, it happens. It got a reaction, but it didn't get that massive reaction like they wanted. And uh, it was a bit of a misfire. I, I thought it was like I said, like like you. I thought it was good. I thought it was good, but it could have been really could have been great. And I just think they executed poorly on it. So here's here's an action here here's an interesting uh, suggestion. I forgot who mentioned this in our um, in our uh, podcast group. I want to say it was uh, buddy buddy Jason, um, but he mentioned he said you know we we talk about how not having a script and and all that is is a positive, but if this thing is a little bit sharper and if they have their dialogue a little bit more down pat. Is this segment a little bit better? Mm-hmm, definitely. If it's timed out better to where, you know, I mean, yeah, if it's timed out better and they they ran through it, I'm sure they I'm sure they had to run through some of it, you know, before. But they had too much time. It just took way too long, and I was just sitting there waiting. And it finally happened. Like I said, that pop wasn't. It was good, but not great. And uh, you know, but but overall, I thought this show, like it's, like you said, I thought it was in the middle ground. It wasn't wasn't their worst show, but it was also wasn't their best either. So, what do you think? What is the best case scenario with Omega and Paige? Because they're really extending this thing out as well. You had them, you know, beat Private Party. Um, wasn't the best match because they're telling a story here they're not just out there having a wrestling match and you know private parties obviously uh you know not not this is not really their thing but you know that there was it was it was a fine opener i wouldn't necessarily say it was it was really good but it seems like they're really extending this omega page thing out and, I, and it makes me wonder you know the the way that that they would do this angle in the past is like oh you know all of a sudden they're the number one contenders of the tag mm-hmm. team title. And then, you know, Omega's like optimistic and Paige is probably a little bit pessimistic, but they do the match and then that's when they turn. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that happening. Or But Paige also seemed like last week was upset that he's actually booked in this tag match. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if they, I mean, he keeps getting booked in these tag matches and he's getting more pissed like, I don't want to do this tag anymore. And finally, they do be a title shot. Maybe he doesn't even show up for that match. And just, and just Omega by himself, or hopefully versus a heel team, not SCU. Um, if that happens, because I think it'd be kind of weird if it's just, you know, two baby faces beat up another baby face up. Um, I can see that happening, or, or maybe Omega gets a title shot over Paige. But, you know, I don't know. It It's not that interesting to me. I know they're doing a slow build with it, but it's not that. I don't know. I'm just not into it. I'm not into. um, I'm not into. I'm into. I'm like. I like the idea of Paige being a heel. I'm just not sure if I'm really into the storyline itself. I think if they decided to do everything for this Mm storyline on TNT on Dynamite, rather than doing some of it on BTE, that you know only. Uh, a very small segment of this audience is watching because it feels like it feels like they have to like like I want to say like uh, I, I just figured that he was not with them anymore and I don't understand why Omega keeps wanting to tag team with them if it's already been clear that Paige is not with them as a group so like that that part doesn't make sense to me so I'm like I don't have the empathy for Kenny Omega or I won't have it when Paige turns on him because I'm gonna be like. Yeah, duh, you're stupid because everyone knew that he was not on your team except for you. And why are you signing this contract for tag matches? 
<laughs> you know, if you don't want to do tag matches with Kenny Omega, that's also funny, a funny thing. But yeah, and also, yeah, you know, I don't watch BTE, you know that. So like when they do stuff and it's, oh, it was on BTE, it's like, well, yeah, I'm like, a, I, it's I'm not canon to me. It's, yeah, it's not canon. It, it's, um, it's, 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 they need to correct, they need to correct that. And also stuff on dark. If you do stuff on dark and you talk about it, like show a clip, they showed a couple last week of the worst party ever by the by party city. <laughs> you know, they're supposed to be these cool young kids, these partiers, but they're by themselves drinking in a bar. <laughs> like, I just don't understand what they're going for there. Yeah. And, uh, and they, and they showed this clip that was horribly done last week to show it again. That was, you know, we see it again. It's bad. And the audio shit, you know, like, Oh man. All right. So I'm, I'm interested in a couple of tag team matches and what you thought about this. So the first one is going to be, Statlander and Riho. I think I, I think I'm actually going to be surprised at your thoughts on this match based on what I what I saw you uh, write a little bit um, on on, yeah, on our Facebook group. Uh, yeah, I, this match exceeded my expectations. I wasn't expect I was expecting maybe maybe not a necessary train wreck, but I wasn't expecting much. But I thought they did a good job, and then they mucked it up with the whole Nightmare Collective stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was going to tell you what pisses me off about this. <laughs> they do all these moves, right? They do. They 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 hit each other's big move after big move after big move. And they're kicking out and they're kicking out. Here comes Nightmare Collector. They interfere. They continue on. And there's let's 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 tease them like it's going to be the finish. But no, they continue on there. Now they're doing big move and big move and big move. And then the finish comes. A little trip. Riho, who's 98 pounds, falls on Statlander, and she's pinned from a trip, from a trip on the outside. Like that was so frustrating. I was like, and and they were they were having a good little match, and, and I think this is the best that Statlander has looked all all time in AEW. Really showed what an athlete that she is. Um, please drop that alien gimmick, mm-hmm. but I think they have something in her. If they would focus on some more reality with her instead of just this alien stuff, and you know, I was I was I was a little more impressed. She 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 won me over after she decided to take a an independent wrestling booking instead of having a <laughs> a a national televised match. So she 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 won a little little brownie points with me going forward. So I thought the match was just sort of there, um, and. I thought the 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 nightmare the nightmare stuff was it gave the indie wrestling fans an out here. Those who are so in love with Chris Statlander, they were making every excuse in the world about why this segment wasn't good, and they're oh you know the nightmare collective ruined this thing, and I was like I was like. Okay, like the match was fine, but it's not like this was like a four and a half star match coming out of the gate and then Brandy's group ruins it for everybody. It was like, it was there. It was fine. Like nothing wrong with it, but it's not like this was a class. This is not not Flair Steamboat getting ruined by uh, Amazing uh, Awesome Kong. Oh, God. You know, it's like, it's like, I think, I think we need to, we need to um, pull back on that a little. Well, you know how it comes with these women wrestlers right these guys get so defensive and because they all think they're gonna get a date and <laughs> you know they keep I, putting over their favorite women wrestlers but uh, it's not i mean I, I i get i get it just like i get 
when you know there's like a female pop star who people are super into even if she can't sing or whatever or you know an, an actress who who might not be great like you know for us it's like jennifer love hewitt like she's not a great actress but we were gonna we, you and i would have stepped in front of a train to save uh, jennifer love hewitt you know still back would. in 1997 still so to I, this day <laughs> so i get that part of it but but I, we were both watching the same match so you telling me that this match was great and if not oh, well. for the nightmare collect not not you personally but you know people in social media saying oh this match was great and it was just ruined by brandy because brandy's so stupid it's like no the brandy thing didn't work but if you take the brandy thing away it's not like this match was going to be four stars no I mean, it was a good match and it, like i said it exceeded what i i mean i didn't expect anything out of this match I'm like oh man this is gonna be bad but they you know they end up having a, a good match and i i I enjoyed it. I wasn't, you know, I was waiting for something to to go wrong, but it it wasn't anything that these ladies did. It was just what the booking did for this for this match. And then here yeah. comes, and once again, we have another debut of a guy that you know they think everyone knows, or at least Excalibur knows, but like everyone else is like, who is this guy? Like, who is Doctor Luther? Death Match yeah, King? Yeah, yeah. My God, Doctor Luther, Doctor Luther. We just oh, they they signed uh, Billy Gunn's kid. I saw that. So who else is getting signed as a friend and family at the AW roster? I don't know. What about uh, uh, you know uh, um, you know the one that the one that they if they could if they could get from a family member it would be Tessa Blanchard, but mm-hmm. they, can't, they can't get her yet. I guess. I'm but sure. Uh, I'm sure she'll be there sooner and later. Which so would be a good thing. The other match that I was very interested in your take on was this uh, six man between. Uh, Jurassic, what, what do they call them? Jurassic, Jurassic Express. Express, yeah. Against the best friends in uh, Orange Cassidy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. It, what pisses me off is that it was all up. It seemed more about Marco Stunt in this match, and maybe mm-hmm. Luchasaurus. Well, Marco Stunt's hometown. That's fine, but he's not gonna make any money, like a Jungle Boy will. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that I thought I thought Jungle Boy should have signed more in this. I think he should have been the star and everyone else around him in this match, honestly. To me, he did feel like that, even if the match wasn't laid out for him to be that. And I think that says a lot about him, right? Like every time he came in, you're like, okay, finally. Like, you know, I, that's that's all I was waiting for. I was like, okay, when's Jungle Boy gonna get in? Okay, mm-hmm. finally he's in. So I think but, that says something for him. But he really didn't though. He didn't really get that. He mean he he got a great action. He and he he did well when he was in. But like it was all about Marco Stunt and then you know Orange Cassidy got his spot and you know and at least at least Chuck T got pinned. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think Orange Cassidy should be pinned. But like you know poor I felt, poor Chuck T doesn't seem, doesn't seem like he's having that much fun. You know to me I don't know. I I, I will give Orange Cassidy one thing that made me laugh is when he went to the top rope. And then he pantomimed that he was going to do a flip. And then he, because of his gimmick, he just basically flopped right on top of the guy and didn't do the flip. I thought that was kind of cute. I was like, okay, I, I sort of understand some of this. But, yeah. um, you know, you know what this match was, was you, this is the match that your indie match where everyone gets, is in on the gimmick on both sides and they have so much fun and they can't wait for these guys to come back. It just doesn't work on TV. Well, I'm, I'm more excited about the six man tag next week when it comes to the inner circle of Jericho and 
I think it's Ortiz. Is it going to be Santana Ortiz? I believe so. Against um, the Jurassic Express. So that, I mean, I'd hope they would lay out a really, really good match and tell it. Continue on the story of Jungle Boy and Jericho would be would be would be fun. I hope. Is I hope. that next week or is that on the? I cruise? thought it was next week. Man, I don't know. I was just kind of going by so fast. I couldn't keep. I wasn't really. We'll, we'll clarify. I mean, it's on. It's on one of the two shows. I know. I yeah. think uh, DDP we, is actually wrestling next week at a six. Oh, that's right, DDP. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Speaking of DDP. Um, he uh he was in the segment with with mjf and you know ddp's doing his thing of you know as I, I, I was waiting for uh is it was it bruce pritchard or, or wade keller who used to call him dd me i love ddp though let's not hate on ddp <laughs> I, I am not hating on him but he he basically turned this into uh he turned this show into the into the ddp five minute uh pitch on uh on DDP yeah, yoga and yeah. everything um, but I, I did worry a little bit when uh, when the butcher and the blade had to take these uh, <laughs> the these um, uh, the diamond cutter the diamond cutter like they yeah. had to take these slow diamond cutters because it took DDP a little bit a little while to get into them. But um, otherwise, like you know, he he MJF was great, and you know, it's a, it's a, it was a good. He, he DDP was a good target for him for the things that that he was saying. I thought he was pretty clever, uh, and you know the segment was good. I just I just worry a little bit about you know when you have the sixty five year old guy or sixty three year old guy beat the two henchmen that you know MJF has hired, and and they have to just sit there and wait for this dude to get up and do this diamond cutter. Yeah, he should have done something where like he moves out of the way, run runs into another one, kind of like a Bugs Bunny thing. And then he's about to lock in the the diamond cutter on the butcher, and then everyone else just jumps on him, you know. Like, and then maybe you save it where he in the, in the six man tag where a guy turns around into it, and he's not like you know they're getting beat up by like you said like a six year old man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, MGF is great in this. I like you know he's always so good. They they did put off the the Cody announcement on what you he's think of that. I'm surprised no I mean, one gave I, him a lot of grief about that. I but. feel like they did the same thing with Moxley last week. Like mm-hmm. they were teasing that, you know, January 1st was when Moxley had to give his answer. And he basically came out and said, you know what? I'm going to come back next week and do it. So that's the second week in a row that they've done something like this. So I don't know if they think that stretching it out is uh, is better, or but it feels a little bit of bait and switchy to me. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, was very very big time bait and switch. I thought the crowd was really like they. I felt like they really want like there's some booze, but I felt like a lot of people were a little more pissed and they they're like, okay, let's not be too mad because we love these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was funny too. They early on they had Pac or Pac attack Michael Nakazawa again, right? Mm-hmm. Poor Nakazawa is getting beat up in the back. <laughs> like his role in this company. Omega tr- Omega tr- told him, man. Omega told him, like, look, I'm gonna hire you. But every week mm-hmm. you're just gonna get stretched yeah. by a pack. Every week, yeah. You're and also gonna do Riho translations in the back, but we're not gonna hear you because <laughs> the audio is gonna be so bad. Um, and like Pac's like, I want to come on, Omega, and he's like, you know, talking trash and blah blah. blah. He's beating up his best friend. Next week, Pac versus Darby Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I mean, I I think it's I'm, I'm actually. 
as if it's just that match being signed, I'm like, yes, that's going to be a fun match. It'll be a fun match, to- but then you know the fear is because of this show. Like I almost feel like every match now has like a some sort of interruption in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of interference, and we had our our good friends at Dark Web back. Mm-hmm. The oh, the Dark Order. Yeah, <laughs> the the Dark Web. That's my favorite name for them. I don't know. It just seems like they're a Dark Web group. You know, I don't, I don't go on the Dark Web, but only only uh, Bra- Brady Childs in our in our Facebook group. He he's the one who goes into the Dark Web. Oh no, <laughs> he tell he, he he tells us all the all the the really 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 grimy dirt <laughs> from the Dark Web. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the dark web? Uh, this I don't I don't know what to think. Like, you know, two what three weeks ago they were the ultimate ass kickers, and now this week they were in a segment in the middle of the show and they got beat up and they mm-hmm. got sent back. I mean, you know, every we're just waiting to see who the exalted one is, right? Like that's just we're just waiting until then, so that you know that they they kind of put it. You know, everything is sort of on ice until until any, that, that. Any idea? Is it scroll? Marty Scroll. A lot of people think so. A lot of people think so. Luke Harper I would, could be another guess. That 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 would be a good one. I I, I would hate to for it to be Scroll. Me too. Because I think he's you know he could actually literally bring in the the villain club gimmick because I think he owns that. He owns so it, if he yeah. wanted to do that, that would be kind of cool just as an extension for uh, for this audience. Um, because, and, 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 you know, I don't know, would he be a good member of the dark order No. Nope. or does he need to stand out? I think he needs to stand out. Yeah, me too. I, I, I keep seeing online, Mars, when's Marty going to get there? Dark, you know, he's the guy I'm like, why would you want that? Like, I wouldn't want him on this really poor gimmick. I, I want him to do his own thing and, and get over that way. And like I said, that the villain club, like why would he even worse waste his time with the dark web when he has, a, he has a, he owns that. And especially cause he's going to be able to sell tons of merch as tons, part of the villain yeah. club. Yeah, so I yeah. think I think I think Luke Harper would be a good choice. Uh, yeah, it, I think he'd be really good, and it'd be a good and it'd, and it'd be nice to see him, you know, talking and doing promos and stuff. What I, I think he's very underrated what, in that. What is it? Does he is what's his actual name? Luke Harper is is that his? Oh, real Brody name? Lee wasn't Brody Lee? Yeah, like yeah, that? yeah, 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 yeah. Because because that the I mean everyone will know him by his WWE name, but he won't be able to use that. Maybe he'll just be the exalted one if he. <laughs> uh, okay so last thing um what what did you think about the lucha lucha bros and uh, dustin cody uh it was definitely a, a one of the better lucha bros match i think they kind of slowed it up a little bit but uh yeah it was good i i, I didn't I, yeah i liked it i wasn't uh, against this one it feel to to me when i see dustin Rhodes wrestle it just feels like a treat I'm like oh gosh you know I don't know how many of these matches I have left to watch this guy but I'm just gonna sit there and enjoy every single one of them yeah yeah I like and I I wish Dustin would just be a cowboy Dustin I mean he's the last outlaw he comes out like the last guy from uh Hayden Asbury <laughs> so I don't know like 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 bring, yeah, I know. Bring, Bring me back, Dustin, man. You, you, I mean, you want you they want the call natu- me the nat. Yeah, they call me the natural, man. But Bring that no, guy back. Ken Griffey Jr. was the natural, and you know he once he turned about you know thirty three, he it was a little hard to call him the natural. But uh, you know the other thing is is you have Paige, and it would sort of be a little bit of uh, uh, of two, two the gimmicks too close to each other. 
and and I wow, think there's been multiple it, multiple cowboys in a promotion. And can you imagine Paige and Dustin? I mean, and Gustin going out in like some kind of bull rope match, and you know, cowboy a cowbell on a bull, on a rope match or some crazy bunkhouse stampede match. That would be great. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, is he that though? Is that him really in real life? God, he was so good at it. <laughs> I, I remember he did he did some of that stuff. It's like after he was remember he was seven, and then he's like, oh, I'm not seven. This BS, you know. I'm gonna, yeah. Be, you know, he started doing some stuff like that. I don't know. The last outlaw. When I hear it, I'm like, oh man, here comes this kick ass cowboy. He, yeah, he yeah. is. But like, then but then he's half painted up like gold dust, or or even the black rain, which is. That was that was a dark time. Oh my, oh my god, that was the dark web right there. That was a dark web. <laughs> Maybe he's the exalted one that Black Reigns returns with his rat. You know, how do I remember thing, that crap? Oh my god, I don't know. Crazy. The I don't even think I was watching WCW at that time. No, this was this not. This oh no, TNA. That, was Impact. that was Impact. Yeah, TNA. That was. TNA. Yeah, I think I hated it so much that's why I remember it. Like, remember that time, Dustin? When you were Black Rain. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the one thing um, we'll, we'll we'll move on, but the one thing we didn't talk about which we should probably spend at least a couple minutes talking about before we get to the We Want Flair segment, is uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a I mean, time. I mean, there are two shows. What did you think of the whole two shows thing? You know, we're, you know, two five-hour shows. I know you didn't, I know you didn't watch all of it, mm-hmm. but, but man, two days, you know, to ask for your fan base to watch two shows yeah. like that. I mean, it was, a tr- it was a chore, obviously, for me, too, with the kids and, you know, not to be spoiled and... I just got lucky and I watched a couple of matches that morning and and had a great time with the guys and, and you know, watching the, the night two. I, you know, I when we found out the, when we found out the, what the tenants was for night two, I much rather maybe do one show. I think that would be the best bet to go back to that. But, you but know. you know, but the max that they're going to draw for one show is, you know, basically what they drew for night one. Mm hmm. And so that that you know that second show is basically just uh, you know a little bit of extra profit for them. I'm, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. Uh, and you know who who knows they they're gonna have to they would have to come up with a, uh, a an interesting story for next year to do it again. Uh, you know, and we were we were kind of talking about it, and I I think you know it would have been great if they were two three hour shows, but the problem is is New Japan doesn't draw based on that Wrestle Kingdom name like maybe WrestleMania does. They actually draw based on how hot the product is. So if you only do, you know, just two, three hour shows and, you know, you just get everybody on and only one, you know, you got to have both. You got to have your stars wrestle on, on uh, you know, in the main event on both nights. And, you know, it just goes to show you like, I mean, has any, I I mean, I'm sure people have done it before, obviously, especially back when guys were working a lot, but man, Okada having the, the two matches that he did on back-to-back nights. Yeah. He's, he's the best. Yeah. He's great. And that match at the Bushi was for night one was really, really damn good. Really good pro wrestling match and classic. And, and, you know, they had to have, like, if for two shows, they had need to have some kind of hook. They had a great hook with, the you know, the double champion little mini tournament thing. Um, what will they have next year? They have to have a big double main event for to draw draw the Dome. So we'll, we'll see. They haven't really announced anything. They won't announce it probably, what, till what you think, Q1 that when they announced Tokyo well, Dome? Well, well, last year they announced the double Tokyo Dome the whole year before. As far as oh, I that's, right. that's right. Yeah, and they didn't announce and, it this year. 
And the G1 is actually in October this year, so it's late. So maybe Dominion they might announce yeah. Tokyo Dome. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the one other thing is, how would you book Naito, and who would you book as the contenders throughout the year for him? Oh shoot, man! You didn't tell me to do my homework before. <laughs> uh, I could see Okada winning the uh, the G1, and I. Or unless Kota wins the G1 again. I think Kota obviously needs to be crowned champion at Tokyo Dome next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seems like that's what's going to happen. I think, I think the, 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 you know, the the creative is how do you get there. And one of the guys in, a, in our Facebook group, and, and, you know, if you want to join the Facebook group, go to my, go to my Twitter, the Fight Game Media Twitter, and you can, you, there's the link to join is is in the pinned post there. It's it's really fun group. Um, but I think it was, um, I want to say it was Lewis Brown in our, in our group. He said that it would be awesome if Okada won G1 and then Kota beats him for the briefcase to mm-hmm. get the Tokyo Dome match, which would be awesome, except because the G1 is so late in the year in October, they don't really have that big show to do the, you know, you know to do that briefcase change. Yeah, I can see actually Okada maybe beat Naito for the belt before this and then, and then Ibushi winning G1. Too. We could see Leo Naito, Naito Okada Dominion. I could definitely see that happening. Maybe Okada wins the the cup as well. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I don't know if will Naito hold up for a whole year as champion. Yeah, too. that that would be interesting. Cause he's got to do these, you know, these main events. Yeah, he puts his body on that line big time. So I mean, he he goes <laughs> dangerously, takes a lot of risks. Um, Tanahashi, I can see. Maybe get a title shot. He can be, you know, I'm sure Naito's going to wrestle Tanahashi in a match. Uh, he'll beat Tanahashi. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can see, I can see that happening. And um, I can see maybe Naito. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Okada beats, uh, Okada beats, you know, Naito at Dominion. And then sometime during G1, maybe comes back down to Naito and Ibushi. And, you know, because they had that series of matches. And then, Ibushi beats Naito there, and then he once again challenges Okada because that. I mean, I think coming out of that match, that that those two shows, that that match was such a classic. I think people really want to see Okada Ibushi again. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I agree. It's it's great every you know it's been great every time we've seen it so far. Uh, all right, it is time for the We Want Flair segment. Last week, we talked about the entire buildup to this match. And this week, we're going to go over the match in of itself. Uh, I do have a couple of uh, of tidbits uh, of information to um, to go to go over before we actually get to the match. But, um, you know, we have uh, we have Tatsumi Fujinami who is the IWGP champion. He beats Big Van Vader on uh, in March, uh, March 4th, actually. So only a couple of weeks before this Tokyo Dome show uh, so that he faces Flair. But what are your memories of Fujinami? Um, just kind of like, uh, you know, before this match, what you knew about him, just kind of his history a little bit. I know he was, uh, his hero was, was Anoki and he actually got to be a, a protege of Anoki when, uh, when Anoki created New Japan. He was one of the guys who, who went with him at the creation of the company. Uh, what, what, what else do you know, is there to know about Fujinami? 
He was one of the best wrestlers in the world at the time, you know, but when he was the protege and, you know, he had killer matches, his junior heavyweight matches, and he was, you know, groomed to be the successor to Inoki. And, you know, I don't know if Noki would ever give that spot up at the time, <laughs> but, you know, the serious back injury that he suffered. Really, yeah, in, the, in, in, in a Vader match. In a Vader match, really, you know, derailed his career. I mean, he had a good career, obviously, but, like, it just really, like, Took a lot of the athleticism away from him, and as we can see in this match with the uh, with Flair, um, he was you know not not the old Fujinami. I mean, like this this match happened in what eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. I mean, it would have been even better. But um, well, well, Big Dave says on the uh, on the piece that we'll play after we're done here. He says if this match happens in eighty eight, then then all bets are off as far as how great it could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, but you know, at the time. I only the only like I said my only Japanese wrestling was from PWI you know and they, they rarely covered it I mean there was results in the back and I would read read the results and I would see these names Fujinami and uh, Saruta I knew who Noki was because they always seemed to really talk about Noki a lot in those matches or at least give him all the press and so I was excited to see him in this match and and see who he was and um, I was a little underwhelmed. When I first saw him, like he, you know, because my, um, you know, I should say my exposure to Japanese wrestling it was probably Great Muda originally. Yep. Yep. And then how cool he looked and such an impression he had on me when in 89, I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then he, you know, he's the champion going against Flair, who's the champion. And I'm like, oh, this guy was, you know, and, and he shows up and he doesn't look as impressive or, or special, just black boots and black tights. Um, he's a guy I appreciated later on when I went back and saw a lot of his older matches and, and he would have some gems later on too, but you know, his really, his really good stuff is really in the, in the eighties when he, before the injury junior WWE, uh, F junior heavyweight champion as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so again, you know, you and I are both teenagers at this time, not knowing a whole lot about Fujinami, but I still thought like just the idea that it was the Japanese champion mm-hmm. going up against Ric Flair. It really did still make this match feel special to me. There was just too much of a mystery about who Fujinami was because they didn't tell us. Yep. They didn't they didn't really tell us anything about him and they didn't show us, you know, much about him. So we sort of were just kind of waiting, okay, who is this guy? And like you said, you know, at first impression when you just sort of see who he is, um, you're not, you're not, you're like, oh, like, you know, he's not like this gigantic guy in the ring. He's more of like a workhorse. He's not like super flashy. So you're just thinking like, hmm, I, 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 almost let down in a sense. But I still had so such high expectations because just of this mystique of Japanese wrestling, just hearing about Japanese wrestling, you know, for, like you said, through the magazines or whatever, just the idea that this was the top guy in Japan, I still felt like, oh, this, this thing is really special. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the match, like the hype for the match, I was, I was excited because it's title for title. And then, like you said, the you know, Japanese champion versus the, you know, Ric Flair, the world champion. And I was, uh, I was looking forward to it. It's just when he, when I saw him, I was like, you know, like I said, I, my, my vision had a great mood in my mind. And mm-hmm. so it just uh, was a little disappointed there. But um, I thought the match was overall pretty good. So there was a luncheon slash press conference uh, the day before. And we don't have to talk about this here because I did ask Big Dave because he was there. And so he got to see, you know, the whole thing. And we talked about how wrestling was treated uh, in Japan. 
but uh, Jim Ross in his book talked about uh, kind of the 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 show in of itself and how they did the show. We talked about this last week, which was uh, you know the the uh, idea that they just did these stand ups. Uh, you know, and, and then through to themselves doing doing the commentary. So Jim Ross says, Tony Schiavone and I did some wraparounds from up in the upper deck with the camera shooting us where the backdrop was the fans in the ring. And from those seats, the ring looked like a little dot all the way down in the middle of the building. It was an amazing scene. We could relax and soak it in because we didn't have to voice over the show until we got back to the States. Now... After this match, Ross does do something at the press conference, yeah. um, which, which was which was interesting because it was sort of sort of like disrespectful, like he's doing a stand up right in the middle of Fujinami's press conference. But that's the angle that that we'll talk about when we get there. So you know, he are sort of our thoughts about you know the, just the the production of, of that show. That's Ross explaining it right there. So the match. Fujinami comes in first. Flair doesn't have the familiar theme song that we would know him to have. He's got the different one. Uh, but what did you think about the three women that come out in one piece bathing suits with him? Oh God, I probably forgot about that. And I, and I know you watched the, the pay-per-view version, right? Yeah. I went back and watched the match on New Japan World. Oh, wow. How was that? And when I just typed in Ric Flair, it came up and... It starts right with ring introductions, so I didn't. Okay. I totally forgot about. It. He comes out with the, you know, that's Japanese culture. Like they like the, you know, remember Maria when she uh-huh. was at ROH? They would like, just do like super close shots on her, you know, uh, her little booty shorts and all that stuff. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, I thought the, so I I could definitely understand why they were, they did they did this with flair, but 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 it's funny because, so the women come out. And uh, they're playing the the uh, national anthem. First, they play the uh, American national anthem, and then they play the Japanese national anthem. And the three, there's one one of the three women is chuckling about something while Flair is like super serious and stoic, and like this is serious business, and you know this is his job, and he's about to have this match. And then you have one of the women just giggling behind him, kind of kind of weird. Um, so, like I said, the anthems play. Bill Alfonso is your referee inside the ring. Tiger Hattori is your referee outside the ring. Um, in in the Observer, and I, I will ask him about this in you know in in the piece that we'll play after this. But in the Observer, Dave basically says that when the match is about to begin and they do the ring walks, he sees that there's two referees and he immediately knows what the mm-hmm. finish of this oh, match yeah. is going to yeah. be. So. Uh, that that is kind of uh, you know that is hinted quickly. So match starts and you know it's right into side headlocks and, and and stuff. And then you get you know Fujinami has the the first big big move of the match, which is a, a side headlock into a back suplex. And then he goes immediately to the dragon sleeper. And this is not a moment where you know Flair sees it coming and curries up and skirts to the ropes and and breaks it. Like he actually locks it in, and and so you get this feeling, like as an as an American fan, like, oh shoot, like Rick is about to lose really quickly to this Japanese guy. What's going on? I thought that was an interesting way to start the match. Yeah, it was great, and um, I don't know how this sounded on your end, but the crowd went nuts for this moment 
when he locked mm-hmm. on the submission. And Flair, man, that was the that's the best sell I've ever seen on the Dragon Sleeper in my life. Like he was like fighting and and trying to get to that rope and locked in and looked like, oh man, he's not gonna get there. This is like one of my favorite parts of the match right off the bat. This this moment here, the Dragon Sleeper at Fujinami, I thought that was really cool, really well done. Um, Flair made that thing look great. God, he's so awesome. And I, and, and it's funny how you're talking about the women laughing in the back. But I remember Flair when when he went face to face with Fujinami, and how serious he was, mm-hmm. like staring him down. Like I was thinking, like, man, this is what I miss. People actually looking like they're they're we want to win a match. And, and yeah, I wish we see more of that. Uh, and so, do you? Was this the first time that they'd ever wrestled each other? I would say so because there's a lot of miscommunication early on. Yeah, it's a rough so, moments. So that's that was what my next thing was going to be was that they weren't necessarily on the on the same page. Like uh, Fujinami, uh, I think they I think he maybe thrown Flair into the ropes and was about to go into clothesline, and Flair's like on the opposite side of the ring, and like he realizes that Fujinami was going to do something, and he's on the other side, and the only thing he does is like instinctually he just like takes like a defensive stance mm-hmm. yeah. as if to say like I'm ready for whatever you were doing, and I was like okay. That was a you know nice little uh, ni- nice little improvisation, but I could you could tell that you know there, there was something going on where they they were not on the same page. Well, I believe it was either Flair called us. I'm sure Flair called something, and Fujinami didn't hear him right, or there's a lot you know was lost in translation a little bit there. And you know, but it was it came. That's what it seemed like, and then it came off smoothly though. Like Flair, you know, sidestepped, and then it's early on in the match where it. It, you know, he would be fresh enough to sidestep, you know, see a clothesline coming, you know, because it was telegraphed a little bit. So I thought it was great. I think it added to that, you know, realism to a match really well. And there, there's moments too, like, you know, Flair would try to push and, and uh, Fujinami to the corner, give him, you know, one of those big chops. But Fujinami's like, wait, hold on, <laughs> grabs him in the side head. <laughs> but like, I like that kind of struggle. And, yeah, and it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't have to look so smooth all the time, like, not, like nowadays, unfortunately. Well, I mean, you know, I'll, you know, you'll hear guys talk about matches back in the day and they're like, yeah, you know, like this is what was called. But if he's not struggling or if he's just, you know, if, if, if he's if he's not fighting me, then, you know, I'm just going to keep him in this thing forever. Like he's got to mm-hmm. actually struggle to get out of it and, and fight his way out of it. Yeah, they want you to do I mean, You got to fight back. You got to you can't die out there. So, uh, so then, you know, the match, the match turns into a little bit of a, of a Ric Flair match doing his, his normal style of offense. And, um, you know, he does a underhook suplex, uh, and I think uh, Shivani calls it a, a butterfly, and then he does a beautiful vertical suplex. Oh my god, that was so great! Like you, you sometimes you don't realize like. You know, Flair's obviously he, he's a bodybuilder, sort of back in the day, or, or powerlifter back in the day. But the dude is, you know, for early forties, and the dude is still really strong, like just holding Fujinami. You know, pu- actually, well, not really holding him, but getting him up there was. I was like, man, Rick is pretty strong. You know, even even in his early forties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also it's also Fujinami too, keeping his leg straight. Yeah, and for sure, abs for sure. and balancing. But yeah, no, it was good. And Flair, you know, like Flair was looking good, and and and. And Fujinami was was definitely was was 
get momentum too. And like, it just sucks. Cause like you tell like the back injuries really sucked a lot out of him. Like those drop kicks where he used to do really high drop kicks. And then, you know, he, he threw a good drop kick, but it wasn't like, if you go back and look at Fujinami in the, in the eighties, like that drop kick he had. So it was really awesome. And then here he's just like, he gets up, but it's, it's, it's good, but not like, not like the Fujinami of when he was younger, you know, for sure. So you're not, you, you listen to the Japanese version of this, but yeah. in the, um, the I don't know if you remember too much about the uh, the Ross and Sh- Shivani call, but a couple of things stand out to me. One is that they are clearly making excuses for Flair to lose this match as the match is going on. Like they're saying, oh, you know, if this match goes any any set of time, you know, it's to Flair's disadvantage because he was on this long plane ride out here to Japan. And really that 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 was kind of a. Uh, you know, against the grain for Flair, because the one thing that the announcing would always say to Flair is, you know, he's a 60 minute man. He, you know, the longer the match, the better he gets. He doesn't get warmed up until the match isn't 20 minutes long or whatever. And so now, you know, in this match against Fujinami, they're like, ah, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for him if this thing gets deep because he's so jet lagged. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And the other thing about it is, you know, we give uh, give Jim Ross uh, not not we but certain people give Jim Ross a little bit of crap for for his lack of calling moves and stuff today. Um, he he doesn't try too hard on this show to call all the crazy crazy spots. He he generalizes, but Shivani is <laughs> he is like calling nothing. Like everything is like this great move or you know, he generalizes so much. And so I asked Big Dave about this. I said, you know, one thing that I realized in today's version of Shivani, the 2019-2020 version of Shivani is he works because he's such a familiar voice, but he's also very professional. Like he, he knows when to jump in and he knows when to stay quiet. But if you actually listen to what he says, he he's not, you know, he's not necessarily doing his homework either. Mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to this 1991 version of Shivani, and obviously he's got way more energy in 1991, younger guy. But the announcing is almost the same. Very like generalizing certain things and, you know, not really super engaged and not focusing on really not really telling the story that well. Uh, So, you know, he's not too different 30 years later. I thought that was actually kind of interesting hearing him from the match, you know, 29 years prior. So that, that, that was it. But again, you know, he's a professional. He's really smart. You know, work smarter, not harder. Like people love him. So I'm not, this is not a dismissal of him. It's just, you know, the sensing of like, ah, oh, yeah, he's kind of, you know, he, he's, he's not really trying to, to, to do a great job. He's just doing enough to get by. They at least called his Scorpion Deathlock. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I had to skip the, uh, I had to skip the Sting match. No, well, no, they had um, no it's Fujinami in this match locks on the Scorpion Deathlock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, yeah, the, the Japanese the commentary did. did. Oh, they did. They yeah, called yeah. it Scorpion well, Deathlock. That's what it's called too in Japan too. Right, because uh, who was the originator? Ricky Choshu. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, the reason why I said Sting and Muda is because that's how you know Muda Muda is the the match is right before this one. Mm-hmm. And Muda's playing heel. Sting goes through the Stinger Splash. He blows the mist in Sting's eyes. And then he rolls him up and wins the match. But Sting is so pissed off that he actually has to put him in the Scorpion at the end. To, you have to, to get, some, get some heat back. Yep. Okay, so uh, Flair, uh, Flair is going to get some blood here. 
And you can tell um, he's about to be sent in the corner, and you can tell he's got something in his hand. Mm-hmm. And um, Fujinami drop kicks him out of the ring, and then he rams his head into the rail, and that's that's uh, the sign for Flair to 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 cut himself and and get a little color. So Flair's bleeding, um, and we get close to the finish, which is. Uh, Fujinami ducks down and Flair is about to throw a forearm and Bill Alfonso is right in the, in the way of taking this forearm. When you, when I watched it back, uh, it's pretty clear that Flair doesn't load up to throw the forearm until Fujinami is clearly already on the floor, but it, it still looked good. It just, this is one of those things that you nitpick when you watch this match 30 years later. Um, so, uh, so Alfonso gets bumped. Fujinami goes for three quick pins and he gets the visual pin on Flair three times. And the fans are like counting that and, you know, that Fujinami should be winning this match, but, you know, there's no ref. So, um, Flair, uh, Flair charges at Fujinami. He ducks under. Flair goes over the top, and uh, DQ in 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 a WCW. And so you know the announcers are are making that clear that hey you know if this was uh, this this is supposed to be a DQ because these the, this match is for even though it's for the two titles it is it is uh, WCW rules for for this match. And so um, Fujinami does what uh, Jim Ross calls a uh, guillotine roll for the pin, but Alfonso is not the one who calls it. Uh, it's Tiger Hattori. So Fujinami celebrates with the uh, his whole crew, puts the belt up on his shoulder, gets put up on his shoulders, holds the belt, has the trophy, and he clearly believes he he's won the match. So obviously it's a dusty finish. It is uh, the one finish that is really like the one that just kind of had been deflating, you know, deflating WCW crowds for the last couple of years. The question I pose to Dave, and I'll pose it to you here, is if we knew that Flair is winning the next match, he's, he's winning the blow off. Why do you have to dusty finish here? To have a rematch, right? Right. But why doesn't Fujinami just win? Just win because because he was defending the ho- title in the house shows. I'm guessing Flair was right. G- right, that is a, that is a good reason. Yeah, because he's, he's main eventing house shows as champion. I think he's working in April '91. I believe he's working Elegante around the loop. Actually, <laughs> so he comes home and works Elegante, and I'm sure Sting had rematches. So they're you know they're selling you know you know trying to bring audience bring people in by the, the world title match. So remember though, I think the dispute was like to WCW Flair's a champion to the NWA or to Japan and really, you know, NWA actually counts it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about later. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the whole belt stuff on, uh, on the next show when we yeah, wrap up yeah. this angle, but to new Japan and Japan, it's, you know, Fujinami is a champion. So there's a dispute here. That's why we have the, the main event at Super Brawl. So we go to, um, the uh, the press conference, the the post match press conference, Fujinami is doing his press conference. Obviously, it's in Japanese, 
And Ross is doing a stand-up maybe 10 feet away from where Fujinami is doing the press conference. So it's kind, it's kind of like, it's kind of rude. Like you would never see that while uh, in the middle of a press conference. But so he's doing the whole press conference and he's explaining what had happened. And then uh, Flair comes in. He's got a bandage over his head. But he comes in to interrupt and basically takes his belt back that mm-hmm. was sitting with Fujinami. Barry Windham and Arn Anderson are, are there with him and flair yells at fujinami and says if you want this belt you got to come to the u.s so uh fujinami uh gets interviewed by ross and he's doing his best to sort of explain you know in in as as best as he can to to jim ross about what happened and he goes you know he slaps his hands together he's like one two three puts his hand up winner and then they they go off air that that's that that was my favorite thing like i always every time i watch that show i laugh at that part which where's i don't the, think we were supposed to laugh but i i did laugh where's the translator <laughs> well michael nakazawa was getting beat oh up. my god you see what was he 10 here <laughs> Um, I did, they did, they needed a translator to spot. I don't know why they decided to just have Fujinami say a couple things. And <laughs> granted, it's funny now, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the angle itself. You know, I think that I like the idea, and they're setting up a, you know, the next pay per view match, the rematch, and it, it it felt it felt to me like a bigger match. I I didn't realize there was such a um, you know, back. Oh, we'll talk about next week, but all the all the politics with the world title belt at the time oh, yeah. it was just amazing yeah. like I mean, of course with them we don't know but then like we look we start doing like a research and reading back on history and like we're like what the hell <laughs> like was going on back then uh but yeah i thought the angle was cool like flair coming all bloody and you had barry you end up arn anderson there horseman is still alive at this time but they're gonna be shutting down pretty soon that angle but yeah it was uh it was cool it was a it was a fun uh go down memory lane with this match and and i'm looking forward to watching the rematch i can't wait to watch that yeah me too okay so um now we're gonna cut to the interview that i did with dave talking about this he was there live we we even talked a little bit about dusty roads which john and i talked about last week but uh after uh after i'm done with dave we will come back and wrap the show up and now here uh bringing on dave Meltzer from the wrestling observer who was at the WCW New Japan Super Show in uh, March of 1991. Before I get to the show, because I do want to ask you some questions about that show since you were there, um, back to Dusty coming back on as the booker for WCW. Um, he was he had been with WWF. Knowing how he left the first time and also his feelings about Flair, what was the, imp- the real impetus to rehire him? Simply because he had booked major promotion before? You know, it's funny because, you know, the story behind that is so funny because um, I was told that Dusty was going back as Booker when WF fired him or let him go. And I wrote about I wrote about it and, and Dusty denied it to everyone. And Jim Hurd, who was running WCW, kept denying it to me. And and and. Um, but I knew, you know, who I got it from. I knew that it was accurate, um, you know, but Dusty told everyone, you know, I remember Dusty went to St. Louis and he outright told Sam Mushnick, no, the story's not true. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember, I think if, if it was in New York, but there was some place where I saw Heard 
And Heard went up to me and just goes, man, he goes, I swear, I didn't know. <laughs> and he's the guy running the company. And he goes, I mean, I didn't know all those times I told you that, that you were wrong. He goes, I didn't know, but they did hire, they really hired him. And I think Heard was gone right after that, wasn't he? So who, wait, who was, who would have been Jack, Jack Petrick. Okay, okay. Jack Petrick would have hired him. And then, um, so I don't really know. I mean, if it was Heard, I would have asked him, but Heard was was against it. And I think Heard at one point, um, well, I mean, I know Heard at one point went to him and just was like, you know, he was mad at Dusty over something. He just goes, either he goes or I go. And he goes, damned. He goes, I thought that I was going to get rid of Dusty. And he goes, I lost my job. So they, they chose Dusty, which, so, I mean, you know, Hurd hadn't done a great job there or anything like that. I mean, you know, nobody will say that, but it was just funny that, um, yeah, they, you know, as, as far as Dusty, Dusty's booking, um, you know, there was a lot of problems there in, in um, 88 when, when Dusty, you know, fell out of power and everything like that. And then they bring him back three years later. Really, just over two years later. I mean, when he left in '88, was that as much of like a power struggle with him and Flair? And it wasn't really a power struggle with him and Flair, as much as it was um, Dusty and and not understanding management at TBS because for whatever reason. Uh, Ted Turner was a huge Ric Flair fan. So he wanted Rick to be um, champion, star, and happy, and everything. He wanted Rick happy. He didn't want Rick going to WWE. And Dusty, at the time, I think was trying to drive Rick to WWE so he'd be out of his hair. And he would go with you know his, his, his own new crew, not realizing that TBS was going to back... It was not going to accept that. And, and they were going to see through it. And when they... When he wanted um, Flair to lose the championship at, at Stargate, in, <coughs> excuse me, in '88 to Steiner in a cage match in six minutes, which was just a complete blow off. Um, the idea was, um, you know, everyone in in because um, Heard was one of the ones who panicked because you know I remember the, I remember the day it was Larry Matisic calling me and and Jim Heard you know calling him we got this big problem and he Larry calls me and we're going through this. And then Larry calls Heard, and then Larry calls me back, and we're just going through the whole blow by blow. And Larry basically booked that that Starcade uh, main event uh, with Flair and Lex Luger because um, and he just said like this is the main event, this is what you do, you know, you put Ric Flair over, and that's that. And then uh, and if Dusty doesn't like it, then um, you know that's Dusty'll have to do what Dusty had to do, and Dusty of course hated it. Um, you know, hated being overruled by non-wrestling people. And, you know, it le- that's where it led, led to Dusty being gone. And then... Um, but when they bring Dusty back, they got to know that him and Flair, you know, had their issues or, or, or whatever, yeah. just competitively. Mm-hmm. And they... they they Because not saying that Dusty coming back is what drove Rick away, because obviously there was... That only, was Heard. Heard was the one that, that drove Rick away. But that couldn't have helped whatever Rick was doing, dealing with with Heard at that time. That couldn't have helped the situation. Right, but I think I think that what happened was in, in 1988, when they bought the company, the company was not doing well, but it was, it was only a 
not that many months or you know removed from doing well. So it was kind of like okay, we're in a we're in a tailspin, but it's not like you know things are doing terrible. By which is 1991, right? You know, 1989 was actually a pretty damn great year for WCW and Dusty wasn't involved. But 1990 started struggling in 1991. Oli, right, was was booking at that time. Um, 1990. Gosh, let me think. Early in the year, Oli came later because I remember in early it was um, it was a committee with Rick and Kevin Sullivan and Cornette, and Cornette was doing a lot of it. And that's why I thought, you know, I mean, because I remember talking to Cornette and him giving me all these different, you know, kind of ideas of what they were doing and everything. Cornette was a genius at that. At that, for that level at that time, he was, he he knew exactly, you know, he knew what matches were going to work and, 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 you know, he knew how to build programs and Sullivan probably was as well. And, um, but, you know, there, it, it, it wasn't clicking. Things were, were, you know, there's a lot of issues and, um, 90 was a pretty bad year by the end of the year. And they probably were just desperate that, well, you know, Dusty, Dusty did good in the eighties. So let's, you know, kind of like that thing of like the manager, you know, some baseball manager was good six years ago and um, Billy Martin. Yeah. So let's bring him back again. And, um, and they did. And, um, you know, and then the funny thing was, was, was when they um, replaced Hurd. So then they had that, that, I think it was, they went to Kip Fry for a short period of time. Then they went to Watts. When they hired Watts, the first thing they wanted Watts to do was fire Dusty. And Watts refused because Watts liked Dusty. Yeah. And said, I can control Dusty, so it's okay. So, you know, Watts and Dusty were the ones, like, I remember um, for, for um, the G1 in 92 when I was in Japan, and Watts and Dusty were always together, mm-hmm. you know, during that whole thing, studying everything that was going on. And I was like... Oh man, this is so great! They're 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 going to study New Japan and everything, and um, you know, and then this is New Japan with G One where they had um, I forgot how many days was Sumo Hall might have been three, might have been more, but they were all sold out, and the crowd was great and everything. And I was like, they're going to look at this and they're going to get all these ideas. It's going to be so great. And um, I don't know if that actually happened, but I, I thought you know that was really cool that they were in Japan and and sitting in the front row during G One. Was that the G1 where they did the tournament for the title? Yeah, the one that Rick Rude lost to Chono in the finals, yeah. Yeah, which was a, a pretty great tournament and a great, really great final. So going back to that New Japan uh, WCW Super Show, uh, I, I went back to read The Observer that you'd written right after, you, uh, right after that show. And you mentioned uh, a luncheon and then a press conference. And the way that you described it was... Um, just you know how important it, pro wrestling was treated, and that yeah, Rick, it was still really huge there then. And that Rick comes in, comes in as a really professional U.S. You know he's the United States champion, world but champion. We're, we're, I'm sorry, world he, but from the United States, right? Um, but that the difference is, is if he you know wrestling in the United States is treated so differently, and it was kind of it, it would be treated you couldn't he couldn't do that in the in in a press conference in the United States. Because people wouldn't take it seriously, um, do you? Do, it, it, it was almost like a, it almost like sounded like regal of like a regal event in a sense. It was. Um, it really. It was. It was those those Japanese Tokyo Dome press conferences were, you know, was like it was like a USFC press conference, but it was actually a higher level. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, if was, there was, was a comparable event. Yeah, it was a higher level than a UFC press conference for sure. Um, it was, you know, because. The Japanese treated the American stars like they were, um, 
you know, um, it's hard. Like, who would I compare it to? You know, like an NBA star, mm -hmm. I would say. Like an NBA star, yeah. Something like that. Like the really, um, or heavyweight boxing, you know, champion or something. They treated the wrestlers, the star wrestlers were treated really big in Japan. Is, is there, uh, <laughs> at that time... <laughs> WCW obviously is the second secondary U.S. promotion to WWF, but not necessarily in Japan at the time. That's what that was sort of what I was going to ask. Because, is, and well, you remember if you also remember nine days later, WWF was running right. the Tokyo Dome with Hogan and um, was it the Hogan Road Warriors match? I think it was Hogan and Tenru against the I Road Warriors. So. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the match. So, um, but Japan sees Flair and Sting as like the big deal. Well, the Road Warriors were huge. Hogan was huge. But the NWA title at that time, because of um, Luthez and Dory Funk Jr., meant more than the WWF championship. That eventually probably changed, but it still was the case in 1991. So Fujinami was going after the the real world championship, although he was IWGP champion at mm -hmm. the time. But that's kind of how it was viewed. And um, even though... Flair was not a bigger star in Japan than Hogan, but Flair's belt was bigger than Hogan's belt. So, um, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, they, they legitimately sold out the Tokyo Dome and, and Hogan and Tenru and the Road Warriors, um, they were not, you know, they were like two thirds full. It's kind of crazy having those events and then was that was, uh, I guess the, the Tyson fight would have been the couple years before. The Tyson fight was a year earlier. Okay. Because it was the night before, the Tyson fight was the night before the February 10th, 1990 Tokyo Dome, where Tyson did 30,000 and New Japan did, you know, 60 or... You and know, that was where they had 50. to bring in All Japan. Right, when Flair didn't, uh, when Flair backed out of the match with Mudo and they ended up going with, um, they brought in like the Vader Stan Hansen match. And Was the, that a, a Hurd thing as well? Like why did, why, why did they... I think Flair and Hurd got in, into a big argument because Flair wanted to be paid extra for main event at the Tokyo Dome and, and Hurd was like the idea that you got a, an annual contract, so you should go where we send you. Right. And, and his thing was, my contract doesn't say you send me to Japan. And But it, didn't Luger get out of this show basically for the same reason uh, as Flair did the year before? Because in reading, um, I think you, who did you, who was Luger supposed to wrestle? Um, was he supposed to wrestle Chono? I, I, I don't remember. Um, Luger did wrestle Tokyo the next year though. Yeah. Yeah. But he was the champion that uh, in, the 92, next year. in 92. But something about he didn't, you know, he didn't want to lose. And thus he was able to say, well, you know, my contract stipulates that I wrestle in the U.S. and in Canada and not Japan. So unless you give me more money, I'm not going to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that um, as I recall, WCW kind of lost face with the, the Japanese because it was like you can't even control your own employees type of a thing. Yeah. So uh, you wrote that before the show started, you mentioned seeing the two referees and you sort of had figured out. Oh, no, not the, not, not the show. When, when they came out at the beginning of the match. Oh, okay. When they, when they announced, because um, they had, wasn't it Hattori and... Bill Alfonso. Bill Alfonso was the other one. Okay. As soon as I saw that, it was like, okay, I know the finish. And I was with Fumi. I was actually sitting with Fumi and Fumi, as soon as he saw that, just goes, I think I'm going to cry. That's what he said. <laughs> and I go, okay, well, now we know the finish. And it's just like, you know, it's like, they, do they really need to bring this finish to Japan where business is so good? Yeah. But I mean... No, it, but knowing what the end game was, Flair's going to win the rematch. Why did why did they have to do it that way? It was just their idea to build a rematch. They, they um, 
they were for whatever reason and i don't even know why they even did the, <coughs> excuse me the, the st petersburg match because they didn't even promote it you know they, they, it's like the world title match is the main event on the pay-per-view and they did nothing to promote that match um i remember um fujinami had beaten sid with like a uh, by submission in the interim and it's like why don't you get the tape up from New Japan of Fujinami beating Sid? Because Sid's been protected everywhere. I think he was probably by that time in WWF anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like he beats. No, he was actually supposed to face Eligante on that show in that stretcher match or whatever. Sid? Yeah. Well, I'm, so I'm, it was right before he left. Okay. Because, well, he was on his way out. Right. Okay. So, um, oh, God, that Sid Eligante stretcher match. <laughs> I was at that one. So that was the same show. Yeah. Oh, that was brutal. <laughs> God, was that brutal. So, um, at least you had the Steiners and Sting and Luger on that show. Yeah, which was great. Yeah. That was a hell of a match. Um, but yeah, I remember like, you know, why don't you just put the Fujinami Sid match on TV? It'll get Fujinami over. It's like they just, they didn't want it. It's like, why are you booking a main event that you don't want to promote? I never got it. Yeah. But yeah. That's what they did. So, uh, that show, I think 64,000. That's what they announced. I mean, the real number would have been. You know, I mean, it was sold out, legit. There was like, I think I counted like, you know, 100 empty seats, if, if that. Um, so, I mean, it was legitimately sold out. It was, you know, bigger. But I mean, the real number is probably um, a little over. I, I would say, because they didn't have the big setup like they have now. Um, you know, I mean, it's probably 54, 50. So compared... Some, somewhere in that range. Going to see shows that took you to them back then to now... Mm-hmm. Uh, they scale the arena, um, the stadium, much differently now. Yeah, because of the so they, 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 because of the outfield where they don't sell tickets now. Although they they almost they did sell some outfield tickets this year for the first time. In, it's got to be a terrible sight view. <laughs> it's I, I was actually I was actually sitting on this side of the foul pole where the outfield would be on the other side of the foul pole. So I was like as close to the outfield as you could be, and um, it was. Not the greatest sight lines for sure, but it wasn't, it didn't bother me or anything. I mean, the only thing that bothered me is there were so many in the luxury boxes, there were so many freaking empty seats with better sight lines. And <laughs> I was like such a villain there that it's like, you know, I made a big mistake and every freaking security guy was looking at me to every time I wiggled my ears was so uncomfortable. So, uh, you mentioned in the writing up, uh, in, in a, I think it was a couple of observers before the show that if anyone thought that this was going to be Flair Steamboat all over again, that they would be disappointed. If that was their expectation... Well, and Fujinami was be one of the best in the world at the time, but it wasn't Flair... Yeah, it wasn't Flair Steamboat. And was it just because they were? it was three years later or two two years later? Like, why did you think it wasn't going to be a classic? Um, Fujinami, I think, was... Um, I don't think Fujinami ever came back as good after the injuries with Vader in the late 80s. He was still good, but he wasn't great anymore. And and I don't know if the flair was still as was, was as good as he was two years earlier either. But he'd have a good uh, he'd have a good ninety two though at least. Well, he always. I mean, he ha- he had good matches almost every year at certain points in time. Um, but Fujinami, like, if, if there was a, about three years earlier, I think Flair and Fujinami would have been just incredible. Yeah. But um, it was um, yeah, Fujinami's back was in bad shape by then. And then, uh, so night is over, and they do the dusty finish, and then they have the Super Brawl stuff. But at that time, you know, March, huge show, they're in the main event. Did you have any sense that 
Flair there was going to be any problems that he would be possibly leaving like had had that started to kick in yet at all at that time um the real problems that i noticed was let me think about this um yeah i mean i knew that it was coming down to flair when it was coming when when he was going to drop it which was going to be to luger that he was going to play an attempt to get an extension on his contract mm-hmm. And which, you know, all things considered, when when you see how things played out, they should have given him. It was so funny because it was it was like Flair was only asking for like three hundred seventy five thousand a year for like two years guaranteed. But, you know, her didn't want to be you know, they they were looking at dropping him, essentially. Um, And three hundred seventy five thousand sounded like a lot. But then when Flair threatened to quit, they offered him like seven fifty a year to come back after he'd made the deal with Vince. So they offered him like double what he what he had asked for to not go to Vince after they had turned him down offering half, which was now and that's really where Heard lost a lot of face because you know the one thing that that company didn't want was Ric Flair to go. So, um, but yeah, did I? I could see it coming. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Especially especially the last two weeks, I was trying to figure out like what's going to stop it, and there was nothing that was going to stop it because. They just wanted that belt off of Rick. They they called him up at the last minute to lose it to Barry Windham. And it's like, it's two weeks before your pay-per-view to lose it to Luger. Now you want him to lose it to Barry Windham? <laughs> With the idea that, well, you know, we maybe he won't put over Luger, but Barry Windham's his buddy. He's not going to not put over his buddy. But Flair was like, you know, trying to negotiate a new contract. Mm-hmm. So he was going to put over anyone until he got the new contract. And then it was just like, you know, Barry's not your buddy because he won't even put you over when we want him to put you over. That's kind of like that's that was kind of like really, you know, divisive shit. And you would you would think that if your goal is to put it on Luger, Flair is worth a lot in order to to be the guy to put Lex over like that means way more than than Lex beating Barry Windham or Lex beating Sting. Yep. 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 For sure. Plus. What they keep forgetting is, is that after you change the title, you still need challengers. And, you know, Rick, if nothing else, like Rick is a challenger, whether it draws or not, is going to make Luger look better than anybody else in that company. And they never really thought, they really never understood wrestling at that level. Because one of the things that to me, whether it was Sting or Luger as champion, why it never worked was because they never had the good enough challengers. You know, I mean, Sting was always great when, when he was working with Ric Flair, but when they threw him with everybody else, it was like he was nothing special. And Luger, as I recall as champion, I thought Luger's champion was just nothing at all. Well, I, I went to a, I want to say it was a June or July WCW house show in Oakland that was very sparsely attended right after Luger wins the belt at mm. Great American Bash. And the guy who was uh, the contender was um, was it Kazmaier? No, that would I think that was right. I think they when they came back, it was Kazmaier. Because I remember was, seeing uh, him, beautiful Bobby Eaton, which is great. Bobby Eaton's a great worker, yeah. but that's not going to sell any tickets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that I mean, that's being at that arena, and you know, maybe there's a thousand people there or whatever, but them just 
all at the same time when they see what the lineup is starting to chant we want flair oh, like yeah. everybody like that was the loudest pop of the whole night yeah that happened for months and even lingered on for over a year and and, and that's kind of what it, it just that memory has always inspired me to kind of dig back and 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 look at this this part of uh this part of flair's uh history so yeah uh one more thing 1988 in Flair's book, he says that he has a discussion with Vince. And the idea is, is that Flair comes in to WWF at SummerSlam 88 right. to work with Savage. Yes. Did they did they have any plans other than just that's the way you bring him in? Was there any thought process beyond that? I, as far as I know, that was just that was the offer to get him to come in. And then they would if they had him, they would have talked about more different things. But, yeah, that was the. um yeah, that was the that was the idea, and um, but if that would have happened, you know, wrestling history changes because then if that leads to Ted Turner not buying WCW, Crockett probably would go out of business at some point in '89 unless they got a, turn, a miracle turnaround that I don't think would happen without Ric Flair. So, um, yeah, it completely changes the history of business if Flair would have made that move. Well, Flair probably knew that too, right? He didn't know it as well. He knows it now. Because we've talked, and he was like, "I wish I knew then, you know, how important I was." He didn't. I don't think he knew until, like, after it all went down. Yeah, he 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 knew, but he, well, as it was as it was going down, he didn't know. And I think that that maybe he did know by ninety one when all that happened, and that's why I think he thought he could push. And you just had Heard, who was just not. You know, Heard was never a big believer in Flair, I guess, or whatever it was. I don't want to say he's not wasn't a big believer, but I think what happened was is when business wasn't strong in '89 and he was the world champion, everyone blamed Ric Flair. So it was kind of like, I think in Heard's eyes, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, he's 40 years old and and he's not drawing anymore, so therefore, you know, we got to go with Sting. But I was always like, and that's that's uh, Larry Holmes following Muhammad Ali. I mean, not, in, not, 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 quite, not to that not, level, not quite, but, quite, but that's no. kind of, but there's, just, there's just this huge shadow that no matter how good you are, you won't be able to get out of. Yeah. I used to tell people that all the time and they thought I was crazy. I was always said like, it wasn't so much, um, but yeah, it was because people were used to a certain type of NWA world championship match on every show that Flair was giving them and Sting could with certain guys, but not with everyone. But more and more, way more important is is that as charismatic as Sting was, he couldn't cut the promos like Ric Flair. And I, that was the thing I was always telling people. It's like, yeah, you know, Sting is a fantastic challenger. Um, but as a champion, it's like a, a different kind of spotlight on you. And Sting needs great challenge. If he had, if he had, they'd lined up and they had all these great heels, one after the other to challenge him would be one thing. But he didn't have any... You know, that's why they went to that Black Scorpion thing, which was a freaking disaster. And, you know, then they put it back on Flair because Sting drew even less than Flair. So it was kind of like after that, remember that whole thing at the end of 89, you know, Flair's losing it and he's never getting it back. There will never be a, what it was, a number seven, whatever the number was. There will never be a number seven. That's like, what? There's people <laughs> in the company. You know, once we get that title on Sting, business is going to pick up because they did some like marketing research thing, you know, where... They showed people a bunch of clips of WCW and and Rick's a heel. So they'd like, who do you like? You know, who do you like? And they all loved Sting yeah. and they all loved Luger and they didn't like Rick. And it's like, because Rick's a heel. Do you even get mm -hmm, that? Mm -hmm. And it was just like, no, he's too old. We can't draw with him on top. And it's like, you know, but 
you know, people are so used to, you know, you know, just being able to getting these great promos and these long matches. And again, the dynamic, the name Ric Flair on a marquee was a big name. Not saying Sting couldn't have won the title. And I was not against Sting winning the title whatsoever. But the idea where you would say he's winning the title and Rick is never getting it back. Don't don't say that because it may come time that it's time for Sting to lose and and six months later, it really was time for Sting to lose. Was, wasn't wasn't that also Dusty's thing though? He was much better as the challenger chasing, and then when he won the belt, he'd lose it pretty soon thereafter. Well, that's different. Um, we it was never really tested out to be fair because those the, he did the, the the one week in whatever. Then there was no you know he didn't go on the road. I think Dusty would have drawn great on the road. The second time in 81 when when Dusty beat Harley Race and then lost to Rick, Dusty was drawing really good. Rick thinks that's, in, at least in his book, he thinks that's kind of the genesis of their them having issues with each other. Because Dusty didn't want to lose to Flair yet. Yeah. Well, the, the problem was that like you had these NWA promoters that were old and set in their ways and and you know they were their, their were their ways was is that the world champion comes in faces the local baby face local baby face beats the world champion but never gets the title and you know that's and we keep coming back because the people want to see that world title change and with dusty they had to put dusty against heels yeah because if you put dusty against your local baby face it's like dusty had so much more charisma than any of the local baby faces so that, you, you couldn't do that so they're all it just broke the formula but dusty drew I mean, that was the thing. So it's like, yeah, I, th- I think that Dusty and, and, you know, to an extent, and superstar Billy Graham even more, were the two guys who, um, as world champions um, in that era, who were probably could be real bitter. And Graham was super bitter mm-hmm. because it was like they grew up with the rules of, can you draw? That was all, it's all that mattered. Can you draw? And superstar, you know, came in as that WWF champion for that year, and and just drew phenomenal. And when it came time, he was actually at his peak. He was never drawing bigger when they put the title on Backlund that weekend. They had the, the two days before he lost. Him and Bruno in Philadelphia had the biggest, you know, crowd, the biggest anything in the history of Philadelphia. And you know, in Billy Graham's mind, he freaking went crazy over it. Was yeah. I'm at my peak. And then they take it away from me because we planned it like nine months ago. But but look at this business. Yep. You know, we can go on, wait till I'm not drawing or turn me baby face, which is obviously what he wanted. But but Vince Sr. was just a Bob Backlund supporter. He wanted, you know, that kind of a champion, you know, and Bob was completely unproven as a draw. So it was. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see with Dusty, but Rick, Rick did really well as champion the first time. He, he was actually phenomenal. Um, it wasn't the wrong move at all. And, and I remember <laughs> trying to remember when this would be, but I would say certainly by 79, you know, I was watching and going like, they got to get the title on Rick and off a of Harley race. You know, it was just that time. If you were, you know, a kid, you kind of just recognized, you know, Harley was old and Rick was the, you know, was better promo and just looked better and everything. But, you know, it was like that, that old mentality. Well, Harley's proven which he was, and Harley's a great worker, you know, and he's responsible and professional and all those things, which he was. But, you know, it was just like, it was just the time and they were, you know, like everything, they were a couple years late on the draw. And then when, you know, with 
when Hogan came, then they were so late on the draw, they couldn't even react anymore. All right, this was great. Thanks, Dave. Okay. All right, we're back to end the show here. Uh, one thing I wanted to note is uh, I'm going to do my best. Uh, I want to have Heidi Fang on here to talk about McGregor and uh, and Donald Cerrone, and also just the rest of the great fights that are on the on you know on the docket for UFC in the first quarter and uh, of the year. You know, they've really good stuff. You know, even in even in April, you know, Ferguson and Khabib and. And, you know, we're hopefully get uh, Cormier and Stipe again. So there's going to be some really good stuff. Uh, Conor McGregor is talking about he wants to fight three times this year. So, you know, who knows if that happens. John Jones will, will fight, you know, soon. So UFC is going to be uh, primed to have a pretty good, at least the first half of the year, I think will be pretty good. We'll see what happens with, with the rest of the, the year. But uh, I want to bring uh, Heidi. I'm just trying to bring her on. We'll see if we can make it work. If not, I'll have someone else um, talk about uh, UFC for next week. But um, but yeah, that's about that's it from here. Um any last words on uh, on anything for this week? Um, for shows that people should check out, I think people who have the network should definitely check out the Takeover Show, um, the NXT Takeover UK um, show. Because Is that Saturday? It's it's Sunday, twelfth. Sunday, Sunday. So I think it's like for I think for me it's like a, I think it's like maybe twelve or earlier than that. I'll probably end up watching later at night, obviously. But uh, I think it's going to be, you know, they always have really good shows. Uh, I think Paul Fontaine mentioned this on our, our Facebook group too. It's like one of the most underrated hours of wrestling each week. And, you know, they have a, they always have a really entertaining show and, and they always put a great effort and there's some great matches on it. You know, Walter. Who's, Wal- who's Walter facing? Uh, Joe Coffey. Okay. So that should be a slugfest. And the minute the match that probably will probably steal the show. I mean the ladder match I'm sure will be highlighted. The the four way tag team ladder match will be nuts, of course, and which I kinda worry about Fabian Eichner in that match because he really does have a busted nose. That's that's a that's a legit thing, you know, he's wearing a face guard in in the show, um, on this week's NXT. Um so I worry about this guy, that guy doing ladder matches with that busted mm-hmm. up nose. So that's kinda But the match that should really, really, really be fantastic is uh, Jordan Devlin and Tyler Bate on the undercard. So uh, definitely check that out, and uh, should be a fun show. I'm looking. For, I'm looking forward. To it. I'm actually. I'm really hyped for that show this weekend. All right, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it on our uh, on our Fight Game Podcast Facebook group. But uh, okay, so that's it from here. So we'll be back next week. Like I said, we'll we'll hope we're gonna try to get someone to talk about UFC. And uh, we'll be back for the last the last part of uh, this month's We Want Flair, the last segment where we'll kind of wrap up the whole uh, Flair Fujinami stuff and where the what happens with the belts and kind of leading into the Super Bowl show, which will actually be our February We Want Flair uh, segment. So for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.